Hey, everybody. It's the Clarification Podcast along with uh, Russell West. I'm your host, James Clary. How's it going, man? Good. How are you doing? Well, you can tell I'm about to lose my voice. I've had no sleep. It's a dreary day in the Yeah, that doesn't help, does it? Cold rain. I had to get out in it last night. Ooh, (laughs) nasty stuff, man. But, you know, the show must go on. So, uh, you and I were talking, and, and you said, you know, we really ought to look into what BlackRock is. I keep and, it. I keep hearing it come up, and I don't really know what that means. Well, we we both talked about an episode of Glenn Beck, and I don't mind giving them them a shout out. No, you know, this is actually like really good. He's got ten million listeners. We've got right. ten. So you know, but uh, he did an interview with uh, Adam Curry, who uh, is the co-host of No Agenda Show, which is a great podcast, and they were talking about global finance which we got into a little bit with our guest john sturdivant mm-hmm. a couple shows ago but we wanted to dive a little bit deeper because you're hearing these terms you're hearing about BlackRock, primarily in the headlines i've seen that uh, what they're buying up all the land right that's my <clears throat> understanding or houses or something like real that. estate real yeah. estate in general yeah so in general BlackRock is a multi National Investment Management Corporation. They're in New York. They were founded in 88 as a risk management and fixed income institutional asset manager. Basically, they're they're, uh, a financial institution that handles investments. They're the largest in the world. They have a portfolio that I read is approaching 10 trillion. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot of money. <laughs> no, it's crazy. I, I, what did I write? I think I, I wrote down that it's, uh, well, it's definitely higher than most countries. You know, it's uh, 70% of the U.S. GDP BlackRock has. And this guy that started it, Larry Fink, and he is a Fink. It's the perfect name. <laughs> Remember Rat Finks? Yes, you're yeah, a so- Rat Fink. <laughs> So this Larry Fink worked at a, at a Boston bank and was this wonderkin who brought in a billion dollars to this bank. And then he, he had one deal go bad and he lost $100 million. So he decided to start his own company. So he started it with another gentleman, which I don't have his name at hand, but they started with a $5 million. His, the other guy was the the money dude. So he brought five million to the table. They now have assets of over nine trillion. Imagine that. We can't even imagine a trillion zeros. I mean, honestly, and the human brain is incapable of imagining that many zeros. It's just, it's unbelievable. So the headlines, like I said, you've seen they're buying up all this real estate, and you know what what's up with BlackRock. So I did I did a little digging. Um, what's interesting about it, if you go back to 2008 and the great financial crash, which we know what happened. I mean, it's been dissected over and over. It was the worst financial crash since the Great Depression. But it was based on these mortgaged-backed securities. Now, Larry Fink is the guy that created this. What he would do is chop up loans basically you've got an investment package that's backed by 10,000 small loans it could be car loans you know some mortgages real estate personal loans whatever and then investors can buy a piece of that package so what happened in 2008 uh think is the guy credited with creating this idea before then they they didn't have financial investments that were backed on just a bunch of loans, you know, packaged together loans. Right. So he creates this deal and it's what took the the economy under in 2008 because all of these mortgages, the federal government and Barney Frank, our old fa- our old pal from the Brownstone we were talking about in the yeah, Franklin yeah, yeah, scandal, yeah. the the uh, congressman who was known to have these crazy sex parties at his house, Barney Frank. <laughs> right pushed these government agencies, Freddie Mac and Fannie Faye, Fannie Faye, Fannie Mae, <laughs> were the two agencies that basically loaned money to low-income people for homes. So the idea was, to, hey, every, every working stiff out there should own a home. And I mean, like most government ideas, 
They sound great on paper, but there's unintended consequences. What Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac allowed was a lot of people to buy homes, Russell, that had no business buying homes. Well, it wasn't even so much that as it was a bigger house than they had business buying, wasn't it? Exactly. Like, well, bigger, yeah, yeah. You know, right. people said, I want to live in a five-bedroom house, and they're like... Yeah, with a $500,000 mortgage, when really the most they should have afforded was a you know an eighty thousand dollar house right right but the commissions weren't as great on that and sure. the whole thing wasn't as great as it was on a huge loan that is a great point so you've got these investment bankers and it's just like an sba loan the small business administration i know because i've done a couple of them for my restaurants you know restaurants is typically a volatile industry so banks just don't you know, you walk into a bank and say, hey, I want to open a restaurant. I need $300,000. Banks would laugh you out, you know. Right. But the SBA will back that loan. So if you default on it, the federal government pays the bank. Now, on an SBA loan, you have to come up with 20% cash. So if you want a $100,000 loan, you got to come up with twenty grand. They loan you eighty. dollars So Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae worked in kind of the same way. You had the might of the federal government backing up these mortgages. So these, and there's credit default swaps. There's a lot of stuff in the 2008 crash that we could get into, but I just want to use it kind of for perspective that this Larry Fink, the CEO of BlackRock, created these mortgage loan packages, right? He created it. Then when all these people started going default on their loans, the, the whole economy it was like a house of cards. It collapsed. So what's this what's this mortgage package you're talking? Is it like well, you're throwing a bunch of mortgages together, together. and then selling them the right. debt off? You're selling it as an investment. I see. It's as see. an investment. So if these people are all paying their notes on time, and I mean, this is very, you know, table talk, simple. If they're all paying their notes off on time and the mortgage is mature and they pay it off, you make money on that. Because an investment, you know, there's interest paid on those mortgages and somehow it all flows down to the investor, right? So did he do this knowing that these people weren't going to be able to pay it no, off? Or was it no, just no, a no. theory? It was an of, idea that he came up with. Okay. It's a new investment strategy, you know, before you could, you could buy individual stocks. It's kind of like a mutual fund. You know, a mutual fund is a collection of stocks and a stock is issued by a company, you know, say NBC, Right, they issue stock. You could buy a share. Well, I think General Electric owns it, but you could buy a share of GE for two thousand dollars a share. They package twenty companies. You know that'd be called a blue chip mutual fund. Would be like Apple, GE, Facebook. Um, you know those are in the Nasdaq and the tech stocks. But they put them on this package, and then you invest on that and the value of that mutual funds goes up and down according to the value the individual values of those companies it's like an average does that make sense yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so they did the same he came up with the idea to do it on loans on like mortgages right so the financial crash was precipitated by movements in the housing market where people couldn't and a lot of those loans they do what are those mortgages called where it's a ballooning interest or you get it's not a fixed interest over 30 years it's a variable, variable right yeah and all of a sudden the interest rates go up and people's car a house payment went from 300 a month to 450 and they couldn't make the payments so when these more people started you know uh not being able to make their payments the bank forecloses on these houses these packages that Fink had created just lost their value and they tanked. Well, everybody had gone in on it. The AIG, the biggest insurance company in the world, had put all this money towards these investments that were wrapped up in the mortgage economy. So that's why it was such a devastating blow that, you know, JP Morgan Chase, these bank, massive banks going bankrupt. And it should have been allowed to happen. You know, remember the term too big to fail? Yeah. And actually, that's what started two different movements. Um, at least one for sure, Occupy Wall Street. Right, right. Was precipitated by that, by bailing these banks out. You know, so who did they call in 2008 to manage the federal bailout of these banks? They called Fink. 
and nobody knows us. It was all done behind closed doors in secret meetings. Fink was called in to manage the federal bailouts of these huge companies. Was it well known that he kind of had started the, the thing? Like the I don't think this, any of this, this was snowball that's rolling. The, that's the whole point. It's 2022. We're now, um, and my math is bad, so we're 14 years from 2008, right? And people are just figuring this out. I mean, people started looking into the history because BlackRock's been in the news, primarily because of, you know, Klaus Schwab, the economic forum, which we're going to get into all that right now. This is such a deep topic that I want to kind of keep it a little bit more surface so we don't go so deep into it that it's hard to follow because it's hard to meet hard for me to follow so let's back up a little bit um i want to talk about something called agenda 21 and i first looked into this probably in 2000 i don't know seven maybe 2009 un this was the united nations agenda 21 and you'll see how it ties into blackrock and larry fink what is united nations agenda 21 sustainable and this is a key word sustainable sustainable development is the action plan implemented worldwide to inventory and control all land water minerals plants animals construction means of production energy education information and all human beings in the world so own the world yeah basically so considering that its policies are woven into the general plans of cities and counties, it's important for people to know where these policies are coming from. So the United Nations literally came out with this plan called Agenda 21 Sustainable Development. And it, it has its basis in communism. These are all Marxist principles. It's amazing because they were able to implement this by going and it's genius, but they were able to implement this stuff by going into local governances, into city halls, into the planning and zoning committees of little counties and cities all over America and the rest of the world. I mean, you, you, I know you're very familiar with the term sustainable, right? It's right. a That's a big deal. Yeah, of course. You hear it a lot. Yeah. But you say, of course, that, you know, that, that tells me everything because in my lexicon 20 years ago no one said that what are you talking about what do you mean sustainable now it's taken for granted that well of course everybody works for things that are sustainable and this all ties in to green energy green economies and it's actually a method for control i mean that's my my viewpoint on it climate change is all part of it um so how does that tie into BlackRock? Well, <laughs> so BlackRock, let's back up. So BlackRock was called in to manage the 2008 bailout of all these banks. So fast forward to COVID and the World Economic Forum under Klaus Schwab introduced something called the Great Reset. And I know this podcast we're watching talked a lot about it, but when you get actually on the World Economic Forums, all these things begin to tie together. So I talked about Agenda 21. Now, that was planned over 20 years ago. So this, these people think long-term. Remember we've talked right, about? Right, 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 right. Was it Brezhnev that said we'd take over the United States without ever firing a shot? Something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Soviet leader, because he knew the way you did it. And communists are very effective. Not just communists. The Nazis were very effective at this, too, Mm. to take over local government. If you own the local, the mayors and the city councils of every city and a state, you own that state. You own the state. You own the country. Yep, yep. Does that make sense? Yeah, I heard uh, Dan Carlin today talking about uh, how his, his... father or grandfather kind of describe what you're talking about he's like either but you know there's there's two types of buying bananas there's buying green bananas and then there's buying yellow bananas yellow bananas you're gonna make a lot of money real quick but you buy the green bananas you're gonna make that money over time yeah because you got to sit on for a second 
Yeah, so this is the green banana agenda. Correct. The They're saying long term. Long term. Yes. They're gonna wait for all this stuff to ripen and, and see, take care. Most of us have no patience. You know, but the idea of Western democracy, it's not like the Western powers, if you believe, let's say you believe that our government was all fair and honest and not corrupt, it's not like America targets well, maybe they do, North Korea, but do we have a plan long-term to say in 50 years, North Korea is going to be a constitutional republic, you know, with a, with a Congress or a parliament, and they're going to have actual real elections. Do we have a plan, and are we trying to implement it? I mean, I'm sure there is some of that going on in the CIA, but the Marxists are much more effective, and I'm calling this a Marxist agenda. It's all couched in these feel-good terms like green, sustainable, you know, anti-climate change, equity. Equity is a huge part yeah. of this. Equitable. You know, and, and Jordan Peterson talks a lot, and a lot of people do talk about the difference between equality and equality of outcome. You know, what, what these people want is equality of outcome rather than equality of opportunity. Right. Yep. You know, it always made me think because a lot of people give, well, you know, let me start back. Uh, FDR, when he did all of his social programs, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. What he, he wasn't giving handouts. He wasn't giving people stuff. He was giving people the opportunity to make something of themselves or make money. And so I think it's kind of, at least that that's, that's how they want you to think. But. Well, sure. <laughs> but, you know, he, he made, you know, Hoover Dam. You know, we did all mm -hmm. these big, great works and gave people jobs. Tennessee Valley Authority. And, yeah. Versus just giving them money to get them by. Right. You know, you weren't given equality. You were given equality of well, opportunity. Right. And everyone I, and has an equal part to have a job uh, you, if you want to go take it. Well, remember Obama promised 12 million shovel-ready jobs? Do you remember that statement? No. Oh, that was a big deal. You know, because... Shovel-ready. Yeah, Obama was elected in 2008, his first term. So he and George Bush were the two... Bush was outgoing when the 2008 crisis happened, and Obama was incoming. They colluded to do this big bank bailout. I mean, Obama approved it. Congress approved it. You know, to give a trillion dollars and bail out AIG and J.P. Morgan Chase and all these things. So Obama, you know, the economy had collapsed. Unemployment was way high. He promised the government was going to create 12 million. I don't know if it's 12 million, but it was something like that. He called them shovel-ready jobs. And what he meant by that, these, like you said, it was like what FDR was doing. We're, the government's going to use its resources to provide good jobs for people. And you know what? They threw billions at it, and it didn't do shit. In the Great Depression? No, under Obama. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was different because you just handed money to people. You can't just hand money to people and expect them to change their ways or or do anything about I it. I totally just, agree. It's just going to be more of the same. But but he couched it. He tried to make it sound like he was doing an FDR-type program uh, when course. in actuality, yeah. no, no, the no, corruption no. in our government and the way it works down is so deep now. I don't think government funds, I would say less than, I'm just pulling this out of my ass, but less than 10% of government money actually ends up where it's intended. Well, I'm sure. I mean, it's, it's all skimmed it's, off by these lobbyists, by Congress and their families, by all their connections, you know, and it works all the way down. But we're getting off track a little bit. So we talked about Agenda 21. Now you get to the Great Reset. So the World Economic Forum, which we've talked about a little bit, this group of so-called intellectual elite that's based in Davos, a lot of people call them the Party of Davos, because they, they are totally a one-world government, globalist. They're all about globalist agenda. So let me just read from the World Economic Forum's main site, The Great Reset. And they're talking about in light of the COVID catastrophe, we need a great reset. That's so this the headline. Post-COVID, yes. They talk about in the post-COVID world, we need to do something different is what they're saying. Right, let me, I'll even go up to that part. Left undressed, together with COVID, these crises will deepen and leave the world even less, listen to this, 
less sustainable, less equal equality, and more fragile. Incremental measures and ad hoc fixes will not suffice to prevent this scenario. We must build entirely new foundations for our economic and social systems. And that's why that's, that social systems is so important because BlackRock, we're going to get into what ESG is and how this all ties together in just a second. So the three components of the Great Reset. The first would be to steer the market towards fairer in outcomes. Equity, right? And, and it's outcome, not of opportunity, steer the market towards fair outcomes. That's social engineering, which we know generally fails miserably. To this end, government should improve coordination, for example, in tax regulatory and fiscal policy. Upgrade, upgrade trade arrangements, create the conditions for a stakeholder economy. At a time of diminishing tax bases and soaring public debt, governments have a powerful incentive to pursue such actions. So they say they should imp implement long overdue reforms that would promote more equitable outcomes. Depending on these countries may include changes to wealth taxes, the withdrawal of fossil fuel subsidies, and new rules governing intellectual property trade and comp competition. It's just going to make it all kind of one thing, right? Like they it's just want, going to... They want to make it equitable. They, you know, the the uh, equality of opportunity versus outcome. You know, they want the outcomes to be equitable. You know, it's the same thing we've tried to do with affirmative action. Right? Oh, it's exactly. I mean, that's that's the same. This thing. is affirmative action. Yeah, it's just economic affirmative action. Exactly. So the second component would ensure that investments advance shared goals such as equality and sustainability there it is again equality and sustainability i mean what does that even mean here the large-scale spending programs that many governments implementing represent a major opportunity for progress for one the european commission's unveiled plans for a 750 billion recovery fund the u.s china japan have ambitious economic stimulus plans look a recovery fund that means money for people. It's like what you saw in COVID, these government checks. Right. So recovery, I'm, and I guarantee you, if you ask Klaus Schwab, they would be in favor of UBI. Do you know what UBI is? Universal basic income. Sure. Yeah. Where you pay people not to work, basically. Well, I think it was, it was to offset the cost of living uh, was my understanding of it. I don't think it's the worst idea in the world, but you can't take people off the physical dollar to do it. That would be my concern, is if they did some kind of... Oh, well, digi digital money is all part of their right plan. Now, that I, I'm not okay with a universal basic income based off of digital money. Oh, it'll definitely be that, though. I, I, yeah, it probably and will. Like, and I'm sure it like will Like Curry be. was saying, yeah. you can only spend those digital dollars at Walmart, Target... The ones, and yeah. Exxon Mobil gas stations, whatever. Right, right. You can't go to the little mom and pop yeah. grocery so store. So I'm again, I'm, I'm totally against that. But just to, if it were to stay on the dollar, you know, it, I mean, it does pump money. They're just going to spend that on dumb shit. You know, if I had an extra thousand bucks a month, guess what? I'm buying shit with that. Yeah. So it will help the economy in a certain aspect, but not if it's a digital dollar. Well, I don't. Okay, I mean, I, I take issue with that a little bit. Do you think the the COVID the extending the unemployment to like a year and a half, two years helped our no, economy. No, 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 no. It destroyed no, our economy. You have to have a job to get that money. That's the thing, though. It's an addition on top of your money. If if that's how it is to stay at home, you can't you can't receive money for just staying at home. That's nonsense. Well, we yeah, I mean, it's been proven over and over that any kind of welfare systems, first of all, people will abuse the system. You know, there was an estimated one billion dollars in fraud in COVID payments. A billion. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean. But that's they made it real easy for them to do that. My my argument here is like if if you are working your ass off just to pay your rent and pay your regular things, yeah. If you had that extra money, you would put that into the local economy yeah. or the bigger economy. It would be extra money to you. You well, wouldn't put that back into bills. I yeah, mean, and where do you what's, come what's up with what you're promoting it? is what it's called Keynesian economics. 
there was a, an economist named Keyes who came up with this idea that the way that you stimulate economies is from the top down. The federal government gives money to its citizens who then put it into the economy and that creates wealth. Here's the problem with that whole idea. How's the government funded? It's funded by the very people that you're now giving uh, the money to. Well, I mean, I guess there would have to be some kind of national sales tax on that, right? To where they could see well, some kind we don't of benefit. Have it. Now, I, man, I'm all for national sales tax, but we, we don't have, have to, that system. Right, We right. have an income tax. But wouldn't that, that would help, that would kind of ease that part well, of what maybe. you're saying. Because then they'd be getting a percentage of that back as... Yeah, but it's kind of circular logic in a way because... I mean, the money's coming in from this source. You're giving it to the guy, and you're giving it back to that source. That the, the thing that people don't ever stop to think is the government doesn't create shit. They create nothing. They've never created one dollar, not one, in wealth. They take. Sure, yeah. People say, oh, what, where would be the road? We're getting into a deep other discussion, but I don't even. So let me finish. The third and final priority, Great Reset, is to harness the innovations of the fourth industrial revolution to support the public good, especially by addressing health and social challenges. During the COVID-19 crisis, companies to develop diagnostics, therapeutics, and vaccines, establish testing centers, create mechanisms for tracing infections, and deliver telemedicine. Now, why the hell is all of a sudden the biggest globalist group in the world in their third prong of the Great Reset is about vaccines and testing centers? They anticipate COVID. You got to understand, dude, we hadn't had anything like COVID for 100 years. Right. Since the flu in 1918. Yet Bill Gates has said it. Oh, there's another pandemic coming. These guys are saying it right here. Dude, this is planned. Or just fear-mongering. Couldn't that be part of it, too? Well, Because you suppose. make money. I mean, if we've learned anything for the last couple of years in the media, it's that you make money by fear-mongering. Yeah. And if you can create a situation that may not be as big of a situation as it is, then a lot of people are going to make a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. Yeah, the the, the whole fear porn thing, with this, we, and it's going on with Ukraine right now. It's the same, mm, sure. same thing. Propaganda. And, you know, we've done shows on on how our agencies, government, media collude to convince you. And it's really hard to resist it. I mean, when you turn on CBS and you watch it for two hours, the news program, it's hard not to get drawn into this shit. I oh, mean, 100%. They're very good at eliciting emotion. And, you know, for the cerebral thinkers, and I think our audience is those people, you have to step back and question everything. You have to. Sure. And I mean, look, the, the outrageous shit they've lied about is unbelievable. You know, I mean, going back to to the Kennedy assassination and 9-11 and OKC. Which, and if they're capable of that, what other kind of shit? Yeah, are they I mean, they're, look, our government kills people. You know, yeah. we just bombed Somalia three days ago. Why do we do that? because we don't like certain black people over there i mean it's al-shabaab it's supposedly a you know an offshoot of al-qaeda what fucking business do we have unless there's specific plans and intelligence that this group is planning an attack on the united states which i think is total bs anyway because i don't think al-qaeda did 9-11 but so we bombed somalia Saudi arabia in the last i think it was two weeks has done 317 sorties over yemen 380,000 people have died in Yemen, with at least half of those being civilians, since this war started a few years ago. We support Saudi Arabia. All their hardware and weapons are from the United States. Why the fuck isn't that in the news? Is that like a smokescreen to mobilize the United States Army? Well, no, I'm just, I'm just saying it's a smokescreen because they want you to worry about Russia. Right, but that's Russia's the smokescreen. Yeah, for us to be doing this, this these I other it's bombing part, operations, if there wasn't something else going on that would I, but, require but, us to mobilize. But we've been bombing Somalia for years, and you don't hear anything about it. I mean, you'll find, it's like we talked about, remember last week, I said it's the difference in a New York Times being front page or on page 22. 
So let's get back to BlackRock. Right. So we talked about these terms that, it, you know, Agenda 21. Now the UN has a new agenda, by the way. It's called Agenda 30. All of the terms in that line up with the Great Reset and Klaus Schwab. And the terms you're going to see are, again, sustainability, equity of outcome, and anything to do with green and climate change. Uh, so BlackRock wanted to position itself as an industry leader in environmental, social, and corporate governments. And they created... That sounds like a load of crap. Well, it is. It's called ESG, Environmental, Social, and Corporate Governance. So the company had, I think at one point, at least a third of their assets were in energy, fossil fuels, oil production, which the green climatologists, the uh, climate change people are totally against fossil fuels. They want to, you know, you hear this all the time, we're going to phase out fossil fuels by the year 2050, which is a fucking horrible idea, by the way. I mean, I've read several books on this subject. And what fossil fuels has done for the human race is immeasurable. It has raised people out of poverty, the access to natural gas, oil, and gasoline. And the idea that, well, first of all, you have to accept the fact that CO2, a natural byproduct, is actually causing the temperature to rise and causing violent climate. You know, they it used to be global warming. You know that, right? Global cooling. Well, there was that. Then it became global warming, and then it became climate change. Well, why did they change the name from global oh, warming oh, to I climate see. change? The, just, the, just the name. The of, name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. They had to because it was proven that the climate wasn't warming like they said it was. The whole idea, and some people may not understand this, the whole idea comes about a theory called the greenhouse effect that the CO2, these carbon emissions, carbon dioxide, it's not carbon monoxide, which is poisonous. Carbon dioxide is what we breathe out, right? It's what plants breathe in and produce oxygen. Correct. The idea is when you have an increase in carbon dioxide, it creates like a blanket in the atmosphere. And it's like, that's why they call it the greenhouse effect. It's like if you put a cover over some plants, you know, water them, you'll see the, the vapor go up and it, it causes it to warm up. You're protecting it from the cold. Yeah. So you have to accept that, one, carbon emissions are increasing due to man. Okay, you have to accept that. Then number two, that that actually causes an increase in global temperatures. Well, they proved that wasn't true. So then they changed it to climate change. Well, the climate change is called fucking weather. <laughs> right. You know? yeah. yeah. I mean, the weather changes all the time. It, there's, I follow a guy named Tony Heller. I'm going to get him on the show. Fucking unbelievable. I mean, he, he has all the historical data. Any, like, you know, people will say, oh, we had the hottest summer we've had and so on. And he'll go, well, you know, actually in 1890, we had two months that were eight degrees on average hotter than this so-called horrible drought you just talked about. So anyway, I don't want to get into a big climate. We'll do a show on climate change, sure. but BlackRock, this is such an, you know what drives me crazy? This is such an old school idea, what they did. They were trying to raise their image. So they, along with these other NGOs, non-governmental organizations, there's one specifically that I'll talk about, but they created this, this scoring system for companies called ESG, Environmental, Social, and Corporate Governments. It's an evaluation of a company's collective consciousness or conscientiousness for social and environmental factors. It's typically that a, it's a score, and it's compiled from data that is collected surrounding specific metrics related to intangible assets within the enterprise. So you've heard about China's social credit score? Yeah, I hear about it all the time. 
Well, and you know, that's where they, they rate individual citizens on how good they do socially. Like if a Chinese citizen goes on China's version of Twitter and says something negative about dear leader Xi Ping, they get a negative on their so their credit score and it can affect their ability to get an apartment which is a big deal in china to have be approved to have a child esg is a form of that that's been done for corporations not just in the united states but by but all over the world so if a corporate head says for instance we're really we're really conscious of climate change and we're installing new scrubbers on all of our plants to reduce carbon emissions. They get plus in their ESG score. This is why, and look, I call it wokeism. This is why you're seeing companies like Coca-Cola have pride flags in their ads. So who is, this is all uh, BlackRock's no, business no, no, model? Here, no, or, no, no, or, no, 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 no. So this is a, um, let me find this. There was a, it's an NGO that, that kind of started it, but it's, it's grown from corporate social responsibility launched by the United Nations into a global phenomenon representing more than 30 trillion in assets under management. So the United Nations actually started. So you go back to agenda 21. So as I kind of, I didn't get real deep into Agenda 21, but I told you they went down to the local level and they literally funded, they through their proxy organizations would fund elections. You know, it's like all the school board shit that you've been seeing. Parents started watching what their children were learning because of COVID and became outraged. You know, that's how this all pushback came. And then the Department of Justice says that these moms questioning school boards or domestic terrorists. This is all a globalist plan, and it's filtered down to our local school boards. So ESG wasn't a thing until 20 years ago when the United Nations started pushing it, and you started hearing speeches where people would talk. It was always about sustainability, equity, and, and gr the green movement, you know, the climate change, right. those three things, sustainability, Equity, it's like the whole move towards electric cars. It would be considered, you know, uh, you'd get a good ESG score. If your company, we're going to move our whole fleet of 200, uh, let's say it's Hertz rent a car. All of our rental cars would be electric in 10 years. And this is something that's like widely accepted as business oh, totally. practice now, like in corporate America. Now it is totally. You wow. can't, you're, and it, what it is, it's a credit rating system. So it, it affects your ability to get, uh, capital and and I and mean, borrowing so and this is this goes back to these ngos uh, that issue this credit kind of rating this this esg score well or it's, how do you uh, know your esg score there are companies that actually track it wow yeah i'm trying to find that that's my hat dang it i just can't remember the name the name of it but uh in less than 20 years, the SG movement has grown from a corporate social responsibility launched by the United Nations into a global phenomenon representing more than 30 trillion in assets under management in the year 2019 alone. Capital tolling 17 billion flowed into ESG linked products, an almost 525% increase from 2015 according to Morningstar. Critics claim ESG-linked products have not had or unlikely to have intended impact of rising the cost of capital for polluting firms. So the idea is, wow, if we, we rate all these businesses, if they have a low ESG score, they won't be able to get access to capital as easy, and it's like a punishment. They'll stop polluting as much. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm just curious. Like, how is it being policed? That's my thing. It's like you go to by you, NGOs, but I mean, just in it's general, it's not policed. It's it's if a company goes to borrow, they need to borrow a million dollars to redo their plant. 
one of the first things the bank, the lending institution is going to look up their ESG score. But how do they, I mean, is there a, then you said there's a company that Not a company, they're or, NGO, well, they're organizations. It's not a business. It's like. But which, I mean, are there specifics to it? Like, is there a specific NGO well, I don't, that is I don't know. I had that down the company that, the monitoring company, I can't find it. But yes, there are. I mean, look at up. I mean, do they get some kind of, I mean, is it just a, because that's a lot of power to give to any Well, fuck yeah. Government. That's why <laughs> that's, we're talking about it. It's insane. Hell, I mean. Yeah. It's insane. Well, hell, let's just look it up. Who is the, who, who scores ESG? Who creates the ESG score? I can't remember that. I have got it in my notes somewhere. But I can't find it. There's an actual uh, non-governmental organization. There we go. Uh, let's see. There's a lot of... Uh, the FBFS. I don't know what FBSS is. but I Farm Bureau Financial Services. I mean, I don't think it's as important... As to what the name of the actual organization well, is that sure, collects yeah. these scores, as important as it is that how they use these scores. Sorry about that. I think I'm sitting on your cord. How they use these scores, scores to affect at a company's ability to raise capital. That's and so the whole idea, and it's not just uh, climate change and pollution. Go back to equity. So the, the percentage of POCs, people of color, minorities that you have in your company, completely, if you have more minorities working for you, completely raises your ESG score. If you have a higher percentage of, say, whites in your company, it's going to lower your ESG score. Which just seems wild to me. Cause well, it's it just racist seems, for one. Well, it just seems so, uh, it just seems like they can say whatever they want you know it's like whoever is well but the see, power i'm just i'm just some kind of those some of those some of those statistics are open public knowledge you you know when you fill out an application you have to put what ethnicity you see that that all goes in what you are i'm sorry that goes into a database anybody sure. can pull up that information you can pull up you can look at the percentage of say african americans working at google that information's out right. there and there, so I think these organizations, compile offshoots the of the United Nations, were created to compile the data. That's exactly right. But they, I mean, clearly, there's somebody pulling the strings of these individuals. Uh, these, well, NGOs, yeah, it's the World right? Economic Forum, mm -hmm. the uh, the World Bank, the United, the UN. I think is a front for all these other. It's a cabal. It's the same fucking people we talk about every right. week. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the globalist elite. I think elite. that's kind of what I'm getting at. It's because it's like, I mean, I don't necessarily care about the companies that are actually making these, or, or not companies, but organizations mm -hmm. that are making these things, but the people ahead of them that are telling them to score these things and and, well, and give the and then and then force their agenda and make this this so powerful. Well, the World Economic Forum, you could put them right at the center of this. They okay. are the the head of the snake, in my opinion. Uh, you know who the World Health Organization? Are they related? They're related in the sense that they're a global company run by elitists who share a global vision. Vision. It's the same vision that George Bush Senior mentioned. I think 40 times in his last campaign, a new world order. You remember him saying it? Yeah. I envision a new world order, a thousand points of light to bring about global economy and global. They want a global government where everything is controlled. But I read about that Agenda 21 where they want to control, uh, you know, inventory, construction, means production, energy, education, information, everything. Uh, as a matter of fact, one of the, the, the things I've seen quoted the most recently about World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab actually said, in the very near future, you will own nothing and you will like it. And that sort of takes us to BlackRock because that's what I understood that's why about BlackRock. buying up the real estate. Now, it kind of go into that. Well, if you want to control property, um, 
there's many ways that you can do it. And the globalists have used under the U the auspices of Agenda 21 and now Agenda 30, um, they've done several things. But one of them is just actually owning the land. Haven't you seen in the news lately, Bill Gates is now the largest landowner in the United States of agricultural land. Yep. There's an agenda going on beneath the surface. BlackRock's just a big part of it because they own such huge amounts of assets, nine trillion. Yeah, and right? and what what I've heard about is that is that they're buying up houses, individual houses, real estate, in order to where no one can own property. They anymore. don't want people to own property. And that's look at what this housing yeah. market that we've got. Like everything's gone the second it's on the market. And so if there's big companies there to take them, they're buying up all the extra houses. Right. And then, so let's it's say... raising the values. Now, what does that do for the billionaires well, who've got money sure, on but these mortgages? Besides that, right. like, like let's say I want to go out and buy a house tomorrow. I've got to fight for it. Uh, the supply is Against going Black down. Against Blackheart. Right. And so, you know, you're going to end up, everyone in the world is going to be renting their houses. No, there's that's, not going to be homeowners. That's and the that's, idea. That, that's the BlackRock aspect of this exactly. entire, that's the BlackRock leg of this entire movement. Part of it, yeah. Yeah, it's just another form. But let me tell you some other ways they do it. It's not just about owning the real estate. Under Agenda 21, under the auspices of environmentalism, uh, federal and state and local laws have been changed increasingly over the years to be more, uh, much more harsh, harsher on land usage. So let's say you're a farmer and you want to put a pond on your land. You would think, let's say you've got a, a spring that trickles out, you know, 10 gallons a minute on your land and it's trickled and it goes in this little creek. Well, if you want to go dig a hole and make it a pond for your cattle, the shit you have, the hoops you have to jump through now are incredible. There are local laws all over the United States that won't let you collect rainwater. Did you know that? Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah. No, A what? lot of municipalities, yeah. But what, 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 what? This all comes from this same source. They, look, if you, owning property is one of the keystone things in a man's independence man or woman a human being's right. independence it it is the a keynote factor in capitalism is private property ownership they want to do away with private property ownership they want they see a society where and i've read through agenda 21 russell it would blow your mind the idea is to move the population from rural areas into cities into urban areas where all expansion is up it's all vertical right and everything's green and everything's controlled everybody pays rent everybody has a chip digital they get their digital currency which ultimately that's the goal is to have a digital right. currency they want to do with cash cash and gold and precious metals those are other things that give you what freedom independence liberty those right. words are curse words to the Klaus Schwab's and the Larry Fink's of the world they don't want humans to be free no we have a societal this is their overview a societal op obligation it's called collectivism where the collective it's the hive mind mentality the collective it's you know for the good of the people it's like with this covid shit and look how many people buy into it you're an asshole because you didn't get a vaccine you don't care about the good of the people you won't wear a mask you're selfish they shame you into this shit you know eventually it'll be what do you mean you think you have the right to own your own property what the hell are you thinking and I mean, that's well, in 10, that's, 20 years. That's already kind of here. I mean, you, you yeah. look at when they bitch at billionaires like Elon and, and them, that they're, it's not like they have that in cash. That's yeah. ownership of their own company. Assets. So yeah. it's stocks and assets. Yeah. It's like they, they're billionaires on paper, but not right. like if they, if they went to their bank and tried to pull out all the money they had. But they still have to come up with 35, 40% cash to make their tax payment. Like yeah. Elon Musk said, he pays more tax than any American. 
in history. And, yeah. yeah, and uh, what's her name? What's her name? That that I won't say that word, but that person who uh, Elizabeth who ran for president, Elizabeth Warren. Yeah, said he was you know a tax cheat or whatever, and he was like, I pay more taxes than anybody. Yeah, you know? it's, it's a little ridiculous. And well, and it look it, it goes back to all these things. It's the good versus evil, Robin Hood. You know, tax the rich. You know, boy, we could. And, and honestly, there are segments of society that honestly believe that all that money that Elon Musk and 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 these are the big philosophical issues that we're dealing with. But all that money should be divvied up among society. The problem is, if you do that, there's nobody to create that wealth. I mean, you. I wouldn't work any harder than I had to. <laughs> well, no. You know, but Elon Musk created that wealth through innovation. His And I don't even know that he's that well. I mean, I think he is personally, but I don't think Tesla's a hugely wealthy company. I think part of the reason Tesla's done so well is because it's so ESG friendly. Well, he, uh, he buys up other companies carbon or sells carbon credits carbon or something. Carbon credits. It's those carbon credits that, that really brought him uh, all his money. It's just crazy. So, you know, the, the whole ESG thing, I mean, I, I had to say to myself, what? I'm watching whatever network television and all of a sudden you see these major corporations and people like the NBA and you know it used to be we wear the pink ribbon for breast cancer awareness now it's gay pride month i mean what the hell is a person's sexuality have to do with anything in my opinion i don't well, care look, what you so, do that's just you're making it uh, way more but that's obvious a, well, you're yeah. making it a point and it's like hey we're all cool like <laughs> I know. We're all people. That's the thing. Oh, here, I found this. I found what you were asking me. It's in 2011, the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board is launched, the SASB, and it's launched to standardize sustainability accounting and measurements across 77 industries. In their own words, the mission of SASB is to establish and improve industry-specific disclosure standards across financially material, environmental, social, and governance topics that facilitate communication between companies investor, and investors about decision-useful information. SASB provides information about the framework and other ESG frameworks on their website so i think the sasb is the main ngo that tracks esg scores the term esg was first coined in 2005 in a landmark study entitled who cares wins conference a conference that first brought together institutional investors Asset managers, buy, side, and sell research, global consultants, and government bodies and regulators to examine the role of environmental, social, and government's value drivers in asset management, financial research. It's like any credit, you know, there's these credit agencies that create a credit score based on financial things. Your ESG score is a very similar thing. Sure, sure. The critics, though, I think rightfully claim it hasn't, it's shown zero effect in causing, say, a big polluter to clean up their act. There's no evidence at all that it's done anything. There's no evidence that it's done any good for the world. And the thing is, if you hire people, and this, this is what kills me, if you promote and hire based on some other intangible thing other than ability it brings everybody down yeah well it makes the best guy just as good as the worst he's average don't you want the best if you owned a company and you had to choose three managers which one do you choose you one that has the best ability to manage your company and look at its core free market economies and capitalism is about one thing profit and people don't like that word i used to have to give this a class if you will to my staff i've got a, an essay on it why profit is not a dirty word mm -hmm.
people see profit and they associate it with those old cartoons of the fat banker with the top right. and monopoly <laughs> yeah, the, you know the bags of money yeah bags <laughs> of money and the little this eye the spectacle you know right. monocle monocle yeah and it's 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 look that is all programmed by what you see all around you i mean you know coca-cola I just use them as an example. They want to be seen as this great, caring company. And you saw this going back to the 60s and 70s when the first environmental movements came around. And thank God they did. I mean, I, I you don't remember this, Russell, but I remember a time growing up where family of four is eating in the car McDonald's. You take all that trash and you throw it out the window on the highway. Now, that sounds foreign to you, doesn't it? Yeah, I don't like that too much. It's horrible. I would never do it. Dude, we did it everybody did it every highway in america i'd love to find some pictures every, and i know they're out oh, shit there. go up to kansas city man that is bad okay well if it's like that it was everywhere every highway in america was littered wall to wall no and i mean it wasn't there was no thought about it you threw your trash out the window <laughs> isn't that bizarre i mean people yeah. your age can't even imagine that time and those are the good aspects of the environmental movement. I love sure, it. Sure, yeah. The conservation e and, and the preservation the of... The EPA, of, Environmental um, Protection Agency. Yeah, there's definitely good good qualities to it. Absolutely, but when you But give, you've got to keep pushing and pushing and pushing for more regulations for more, exactly. and more things that maybe aren't as necessary, but you've got to justify your job somehow. Right. I always think about it from the term of my health inspector at, my, at the restaurant. You know, every couple of years, the health codes would be completely rewritten. And I'd ask myself, so why did they do that? Okay, I'll just give you an example. I remember one year, they added a new rule that if you had a, like this, a container of water, and you're working in a kitchen, you could not set if it was like a glass just an open glass of water you couldn't set it on a counter anywhere near where food was being prepared it had to have a lid and a straw so that's one of the things they added okay now the idea on that was well perhaps saliva could drip from the edge rim of that glass down the glass on the table and somebody's got hepatitis C, you're chopping lettuce and it's going to make somebody sick. So where, show me the evidence of how many people got sick from that. It was just it's not there. Yeah, totally. And you said it. These people have to justify their jobs. Well, it's just like, uh, you know, like lawyers and shit too. Yeah. You know, they write new laws like Congress. Or somebody gets sued and it costs them two hundred million dollars, and now they have to change the way they they do things off of some right. small little thing. And now and it new changes. laws are written. Yep. Well, Congress does the same thing. You know, they're legislators. How many laws do they overturn? Never. It's it's the natural order that things grow, get bigger. They don't generally get smaller. So this ESG movement sprang out of environmentalism in the 60s. You got to realize the baby boomers, my generation and older, I'm 61. We were the hippies of the 60s. We were pro-environment. We were the first green people, you know, that, you know, and we called out polluters. There were horrible environmental things going on, and there still are, particularly in countries like China and India, third world countries. I mean, just look at the plastic in the ocean, which is, man, I care more about. I That shit I, drives me crazy. The old Atlantic uh, garbage patch. Just all of it. Yeah. The Pacific They're is Pacific, the worst yeah. with Asia. I mean, they literally, like, we used to throw our trash out the window in many places in India. The garbage is just dumped in the ocean. And I'm sure it still is in the United States and areas. But, look, we... We're the ones that are blame. I mean, well, we blame ourselves or, uh, you know, it's like whenever you hear about this garbage Well, like patch, the Paris Climate Accord. Because we're using, because we're, we're not using, you know, fake straws or whatever. Well, we're 10, 10 to 20 years, probably 20 years ahead of China and India as far as our environmental rules and regulations. So we, we go to, that's why Trump said, I'm taking us out of the Paris Climate Accords. It gave them, they put China and India on the same level as us, even though we have much stricter regulations. Well, that's not fair. They should have to catch up with us. China doesn't have uh, anti-pollution scrubbers on their coal plants. China's building a new coal plant like every two days. 
every two days. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, I, I'm not. I'm pulling that out of my ass too. But look it up. I read it. It's just just crazy amount of coal plants. And once again, I'm not against coal. I'm not against fossil fuels. But if you're going to, uh, if you're going to punish the United States for certain CO2 standards, make it fair across the board. And the Paris uh, Accords did not do that. Uh, China to build 43 new coal-fired plants. What, this year, probably. That was in 2021, so yeah. I mean, they're just they're springing up, so it's not every two 18 days. 18 new to... blast furnaces for uh, iron and steel as it's well, crazy. which are just as bad. Yeah. But, you know, they're not... Coal can be burned efficiently. We've created scrubbers that almost put it... They put out near zero emissions. They, we have a zero emissions fuel. Hell, you can... Re- I don't know why we haven't gone to alcohol. That's a whole nother discussion. You know, most people don't realize that cars, almost all cars and farm machinery ran on alcohol before yeah. gasoline. Yep. My dad could run his uh, truck on old fire grease, you know, the old biodiesel right. shit too. Yeah, that's a so biodiesel. There's, there's but tons of different. But you know why they did away with the alcohol? The whole prohibition, this is a whole nother show, but prohibition wasn't about taking alcohol away from drinking. It was all about energy. Prohibition really? was used. Uh, uh, Rockefeller funded, of course, funded all the anti-drinking, all the pro-prohibition. The teetotalers, though. Yeah, he yeah. funded them all because he had this waste product called gasoline from his oil refiners. People think gasoline's this refined thing. It was actually kind of a waste product when they were making other products. It was, yeah, of kerosene. I yeah, believe, yeah, of kerosene. Or oil, right. oil maybe. And so he needed, to, he needed an outlet to sell this shit. Well, everybody was using alcohol. Your tractor, and you know how you can make alcohol? With a still. You can make it on your own farm. There are a whole community. A guy named, and I interviewed him, I can't remember his name, but he wrote a book called Alcohol Can Be a Gas, Richard Bloom. He's dead now, but I interviewed him on Nick's uh, radio show, and his book blew me away because he talked about how communities can come together and create stills. Now, this would be sustainable in green energy. They create a community still. You can use, now there are certain crops that work better, like beets, high sugar producing things that ferment and distill to alcohol, but you can use like uh, leaves. Think of all the leaves that you rake up and go into the city dump every year. Those can be distilled down and make alcohol. They can run a car and alcohol burns 90% cleaner than gasoline. I know. You know, you can convert a car. Right now, you can convert your car for 300 bucks. It'll run on alcohol, pure alcohol. So wow. my point is, this is all a sham. If they really wanted to, to you know, be greener, more sustainable, more equitable, they'd do things like that. But those kind of ideas are put down. Why? Because you've got these huge money interests. You know, so back to BlackRock, I, I think the danger, not just in BlackRock, but ESG... The whole social credit, it's, I just call it wokeism, dude. It's everything that's woke. You know, it's trans rights, gay rights, BLM, Antifa. They're all fighting the man. But the thing is, I think a lot of those people like BLM, BLM, everyday citizens, have really good intentions. And I support the idea that the races should be given equal opportunity. But when you're fighting for equality of outcome, I can't support that. Because it brings everybody down, you know? And it's just, I don't know, the the BlackRock thing's frightening because they own assets that are 70% of the U.S. uh, GDP. And you see it everywhere. Just turn on the television. Wokeism, this boils down to me, it's populism versus globalism. And I don't want to say Trump is a minor part of it, but you have to understand in the Trump election, Russell, there were, in Brazil, in France, there were leaders elected all over the world that were populists. The rise of populism versus globalism really undercuts everything we talk about on this show. It really does. And I think we're both populists at heart. We may see different paths to get somewhere. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, Yeah, definitely, definitely. 
So, I mean, we didn't even go that deep into to BlackRock specifically, but I think just more an overview of a globalist agenda that BlackRock is being used by these same people. And I didn't even get in the fact that uh, BlackRock was bought in, brought in under the pandemic. Who'd they call? Larry Fink, you know, to help restructure the economy. He's Larry Fink's all aboard on the Great Reset. He wants to control all land. He wants to, to own it. Sounds like it. If not, he's definitely fast-tracking the thing. Yep. So, anyway, you know, corporations, like I said, were designed to make a profit. And what we're seeing is this globalist shift to make them something else. It's as simple as that. It's to make, you know, I don't have a problem with wanting a company to be more responsible to their employees, to the environment. But when you get government agencies, and really everything comes down to at the point of a gun, you know? Right. At the end of the day, right. it's at the point of a gun. And Ben Shapiro makes that point about taxes, you know? At the end of the day, you don't pay your taxes, you're going to jail. Right. You know, if yeah, you yeah, cheat yeah. on them. So it is at the end of the gun. So. I think, what is the answer to this? You know, that, that was the part of that. We started out talking about the Adam Curry, Glenn Beck thing, and it was a little depressing because Adam Curry's like, you can't stop this. Yeah, it's too far, yeah. So what, it, but what I, I think the answer is, and James Corbett, i wrap it up on this, told me one time when I interviewed him, I said, so what's the answer, James? He goes, there's really not an answer other than take care of yourself. It's like John said at the end, you take care of yourself, love your family, love your friends, keep them close. What you're seeing in response to this is an outgrowth of alternative means. The media is the greatest example. We once had this global media, you listened to these four stations, or you read these hundred newspapers and that was it. How many news sources are there? We're one of, I think, of what did Adam say on that? 4.8 million podcasts. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're one. <laughs> yeah. But you have that many other outlets. Now, not all, not all of them are news, but of those, I'd say at least a million are somewhat news current history. Events, yeah, yeah, current events associated. So you have all those different options, and I think that is the alternative. Your Bitcoin it's unregulated. It, all this. It's, un, it's unregulated. Yeah. Right. The barter system. Trade with your neighbors. Get to know your neighbors. You know, uh, I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with being prepared for there is a financial collapse coming. And it's being the knobs and dials are being twisted by the cloth shops of the world. And Larry Fink's of Blackstone. So they will wrap it on that. Hey, we really appreciate you watching the Clarification Podcast. We would love it if you hit the like button. I know they say that over and over, but I'm going to say <laughs> right. it again. Hit the like button, subscribe to our podcast. It really helps. You know what helps more than anything is just share our podcast with your friends. If you find something of value in here, please share and hit the links that you see in the window, and we will see you next time. Bye, everybody.